Now, next Sunday evening is our baptism. We will be barbecuing burgers and dogs. So, hey, come get a hot dog or a hamburger and watch some people be baptized. So far, we got three. There's room for maybe one more. So, no, if you would like to follow the Lord in baptism, be obedient to our Lord. See me, and we'll make sure that that is made available to you. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 14 this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking at uh, the dietary laws that Moses gives the people. In chapter 14, Moses spells out specifically what Israel could eat and what they could not eat regarding animals primarily. So let's pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and we'll look at verses 3 through 11. You shall not eat any detestable thing. Now I can go along with that right off the bat, you know. Um, and then he goes on. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, the rock hyrax, the, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also the swine, or the pig, is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet it does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins or scales. And whatever does not have fins or scale, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. All clean birds you may eat. These are basic dietary laws and regulations that are still in force in Israel today. A good Jew, you won't find him eating any of the things that they're not supposed to. Uh, it's interesting, having been to Israel, the Sea of Galilee is full of catfish. But they don't catch them and eat them. That's a southern thing. We're okay with it. But it's easier, perhaps, to explain what Israel could not eat versus what they could. No eating of cloven hooves animals. Any animal with a split hoof was okay if they chew their cud. Now I have a few cows. They're all split hooves. They're, they're edible. I even named some of them hamburger and stuff like that, so it's alright. And uh, But there was no eating of the pig or camels and they had to stay away from dead animals. Now, if I lived back then, I could have obeyed the dietary laws except for eating of the pig. I enjoy pork roast, pork chops, ham, bacon, barbecue pork. Man, that goes half my diet, you know. 
So why in the world do we now eat all these detestable little critters? My grandmother would eat possum. Not going to happen. That's all I can tell you. And I see armadillos and other roadkill that I wouldn't touch either. So, But anyway, and the reason that we can eat all these animals, Peter had a vision from God in the book of Acts. So turn with me to the book of Acts. That's where we'll spend uh, this morning, really, in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, he's a devout man. He fears God. He had a vision, and in this vision, he is to send for the apostle Peter to come to him. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven open, and an object like a great sheet bounded to four corners, descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you shall not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Peter, he's up on the housetop. He's visiting, uh, being kept up with a tanner there by, in Joppa. By the, I, I don't know if it was by the sea or not. But while he's praying, he becomes very hungry. And God is setting up Peter to give him a vision. His host is down making breakfast, and Peter falls into a trance. The heavens part, and a sheet that has all kinds of critters in it, creeping things, things with no shoulders, wild little things that we see on the side of the road. This sheet is full of these things. And Peter is told with this voice from heaven, rise, kill, and eat. Peter has a response, and he says, hey, Lord, not me. Peter's reply is what we call an oxymoron. You cannot call Jesus Lord and in the same breath say, not so. He's not Lord if you tell him not so. If Jesus is Lord, then the only acceptable response is, yes, Lord. The sheet and the voice from heaven is repeated three times. Peter seems to have the three times happening thing all through his life. He had three denials in the courtyard. He had three, do you love me, Peter, from Jesus. And now a sheet descends from heaven three times. <laughs> Now, in my mind, I wonder if Peter told the Lord three times, not so, Lord. I will not kill and eat. He probably did. But anyway, verse 17, Peter is wondering within himself what the three-time vision meant. God has just changed 
all the dietary laws for his people Israel. And this is a big event to Peter. But there's a greater issue there than what they eat. So let's read Acts 10, verses 17 through 28. Now, while Peter is wondering within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius had made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from, from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And, he, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of the, those of another nation, for God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter is pondering. He's thinking about this vision that the Lord has given him, and he's thinking about the words that the Holy Spirit has spoke to him. Three men at your door, Peter, and they're seeking you. Go with them, doubting nothing. Peter invites these men into the house for the night, and the next day he is off to Caesarea to see Cornelius, this centurion. Cornelius, as we read, he wants to worship Peter. And Peter said, hey, make sure you don't do this. I'm a man just like you are. Then Peter gives us insight for the reason of the three-time sheet vision with all its critters and everything else. And he says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So it had much greater meaning than just what they're going to eat. All of a sudden, it's an even playing field for all of mankind. Up until this time, the church was made up primarily of Jewish believers. Now we see the gates of salvation, and they swing wide open for all of humanity. Today, the church is not primarily Jewish, but the majority of Christians are Gentile. It's been a complete turnaround there. I thank God for the centurion Cornelius, 
a devout man seeking after God. And notice God has heard Cornelius' prayers. And he gave Peter a three-time vision because Cornelius is praying and wanting to know the truth. But give Peter now the credit that's due him. Peter realizes this vision has much greater implication than what they eat. It's not about what you put on the supper table. And before the vision of salvation had been, well, salvation had been primarily of the Jewish faith. If you wanted to be a believer, you had to go along with the Jewish laws of sacrifice and so forth. It was almost entirely Jewish. Very few believers apart from the Jews before this event. So let's read verses 34 through 43. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching uh, through peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That the word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And we, and he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. We start this uh, passage off with that God is revealing a truth here, and that is he is not partial. God is not a respecter of persons. Civil rights in our country is a major issue right now. A lot of tension in the civil rights arena. God says, I'm not a respecter of persons. Neither should we be. There should never be any respecter, no prejudice among us, his people. And that can be difficult because we can build up resentments if we're not careful. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and likewise the Samaritans hated the Jews. But God says, hey, I'm not a respecter of persons, and you should not be. And he says, every nation that fears God and does works of righteousness is accepted by God. There's the criteria. You want to be accepted by God? Do works of righteousness. 
Now, this is a complete change from about two millenniums where God has dealt primarily through and in the Jewish people. God now has Peter, a devout Jew, telling Gentiles God's favor now goes out to all of mankind. Salvation is now available to all people. Peter tells how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power to heal all who were oppressed by the devil. Sickness and disease is an evil oppression from Satan. Before man fell into sin, back in the garden, we li man lived in a perfect environment. No death. No disease. But Adam and Eve, when they ate from the tree of knowledge, it brought all kinds of maladies from the curse that now was upon man. Man began to suffer death. I long to understand certain things about our Lord. Why, for instance, does God sometimes heal and other times he doesn't heal? And it's totally in his hands. We will see God heal the one we didn't think he should heal, and he lets another one suffer. And I, and I don't understand that. I'll be the first to tell you that. Why does our Lord not give a gift of healing to certain people, well, it baffles me. It just puzzles me. I don't understand. But here's the good news. And it's good news for any believer. We will have perfect bodies and perfect minds when we go to be with our Lord. Heaven will be a perfect place. This is our hope. As believers, we have the hope of heaven. In the third world, prosperity doctrine, it's very popular because the people have nothing. In the third world, they don't have good medical care. It's virtually non-existent. So their hope becomes in heaven. And I think our hope should be there also. Our hope should be to live everlasting with our Lord. But Peter, he's explaining to Cornelius and to other prominent Gentiles how he was a witness to Jesus being crucified on a Roman cross, hung upon a tree, and how he also witnessed Jesus being raised up alive on the third day. You see, God the Father would not allow his son to suffer corruption or decay. And he's not going to allow you and I to suffer that either. He didn't allow it for Jesus, and he won't allow it for us. Peter, he continues, he says, Not everybody was chosen to witness the resurrected Jesus, but Peter says, I was. 
And he says, because I was chosen, I have a responsibility. I was commanded by Jesus, and the other apostles were commanded by Jesus to preach the gospel of a resurrected Savior. Peter was commanded that. So were the other apostles. And we who have received salvation, we're to also proclaim the good news, the gospel of a risen Savior. Last week, we looked at how believing in Jesus and trusting and relying upon him is the key to salvation. And in verse 43, we hear, whoever believes in Jesus will receive remission of sins. Remission or forgiveness of sins by Jesus gives us a right standing with God the Father. Such a right standing that we almost can't comprehend it because it's just as if we never sinned. Now, when we feel like we're <clears throat> being extra good or spiritual, we can forgive. But do we forgive as though that person never sinned against us? I've heard Christians say, I forgive him or her uh, for sinning against me, but I cannot forget. <laughs> you really haven't forgiven them. If you're remembering it, you're not forgiving. For God has chosen to not remember our sins once we repent. Think of that. You can't go to God over some sin that you've repented of and said, God, remember how I sinned that way? Well, I did it again. He'll go, what sin? He forgives completely. One of those great attributes of our Lord. It has been said, and I agree with this, that our mental health hospitals could be emptied today if you could remove the guilt of sin. Sin, even though forgiven, we sometimes still carry it with us. But let me finish chapter 10 of Acts, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. God has used Peter as a witness to declare the truth of salvation. He's there, he's explaining it to Cornelius and his friends, and now God will confirm the truth of salvation by himself, in and of himself, through his Holy Spirit. Notice the Holy Spirit falls upon those who heard the word of God. Just like he fell 
upon the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Same, same type of event. Now we have circumcised Jews that are amazed that the Holy Spirit fell upon Gentiles. Because a Gentile to a Jew, is, was, he was just known as a sinful being. And so it really amazes them that God would give his Holy Spirit to Gentiles. The Holy Spirit falls upon them in the same way he fell upon the day of Pentecost. The 120 uh, who were gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And the gift was of tongues, and it was given to the Gentiles, just like it was to the Jews, and they're speaking in other languages, glorifying God. Now, salvation is not always accompanied with the gift of tongues. But the Holy Spirit is sovereign, and he gives gift as he pleases. But here at Caesarea, with the Jews and the Gentiles gathered together, God is making a point to show the Jews that Gentiles are chosen in the same manner that God has chosen them. And God does it in the very same way that he did on the day of Pentecost. There's a purpose, there's a cause for the way God does things. So there can be no denying of Gentiles receiving salvation. And Peter proclaims in verse 47, can anyone forbid these believers from being baptized? These believers who received the Holy Spirit just like we did. Water baptism is a sign of regeneration of life. We are told, believe and be baptized. We're going to have a baptism next Sunday evening. Come out. It's a time of celebration. Now, we have two examples here by the Holy Spirit falling upon believers, and the gift of tongues is given. But there are other times when there's no mention of tongues being given when the Holy Spirit falls. And why do I say this? Because you can't put God in a box. You can't put the Holy Spirit in a box about how he wants to pour out his gifts and who he wants to pour them out upon. He is God and he does as he pleases. But do not allow tongues, a gift of the Spirit, to weird you out. <laughs> and it does. We've, uh, I think probably the big divider uh, is how God will give gifts of the Spirit and who he will give them to. And there's some that say tongues are not for today. Others say, oh, yeah, you got to have tongues. And, uh, but God gives them as he pleases. The Holy Spirit only gives good gifts. Understand that. And tongues, therefore, 
must be a good gift because God gave it. But the control now, the control, the use of tongues is under the authority of the believer. And that opens up the door for misuse. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. I have seen tongues being misused firsthand, sat there and <laughs> watched it. But that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the, not dishwater, the bathwater. There we go. <laughs> you don't discount tongues because you've seen it misused. It's a good gift from God. But it is subject to being misused because the individual has the authority to use tongues as he pleases, when he pleases. And when you have that authority, it can be misused. And I have seen and heard it misused, but I have also seen and heard it used in a good way. So don't let it bother you that God gave believers the gift of tongues. None of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are anything to be afraid of including tongues. And that doesn't sit well with all Christian churches today. But our God is a God that he will not allow us to put him in a box. He will not allow us to say that any gifts of the Spirit are bad. So if God has a gift of tongues for you, it's a good gift. Use it and enjoy it in the grace that he gives you. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. But God did use tongues to verify salvation to the Gentiles. Father God, we thank you that you have good gifts for us by your spirit. And Lord, we don't want to ever fall into that trap of saying, I want this gift and don't want that gift. We want whatever you have for us, Lord, for you give only good gifts. So, Lord, we're open. We're ready to receive anything you have for us, knowing that you love us, knowing that you desire us to grow spiritually, and thus you give us gifts. So, Lord, we're open. We're ready to receive anything you have for us. And so we pray, do a good work in our hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for opening the door of salvation to us Gentiles. We look around our little church body, and we don't have many Jews here, Lord. And because you opened the door to Gentiles, we here are assembled in your name. We're here before you as believers because you are not a respecter of persons. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your just ways, Lord. And Lord, again, have your way in our lives. Give us gifts of your spirit, Lord, whatever you desire. And we pray for this and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.